Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis using the Zelle app to box13 at greatdetectives.net. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. And I want to thank Jeff and Laura, each who uh, increased their support from the rookie level of $2 or more per month to the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support. Well, now it is time for us to get into uh, this week's episode of Dangerous Assignment. The original air date, March 27th, 1950, and the title is... Renew Shikarun's Uranium Deal. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Morning, Commissioner. Morning, Steve. How was the flight back from Switzerland? Smooth as silk. Just got in. Glad you liked it, because you're taking the next plane for Cairo. Cairo? You mean today? <laughs> Look, I don't even have a clean shirt left. You can dunk it in the Nile when you get there. Oh, Ruth. Yes, Commissioner. How are you doing on Steve's plane ticket? I was able to get him space on the next plane. Takes off in an hour. Good. Oh, great. I haven't had a date for a week, and now you want to fix me up with a mummy. Steve... Remember Sheik Haroon? Sure, he's an old friend of mine. He should be. What do you mean? About five years ago, I taught him to play poker, and he cleaned me. <laughs> and as you know, the Sheik controls a territory on the edge of the Sahara. He has a walled city there. Yeah, I was there once. Quite a joint. Uh, we think there's uranium ore in his territory. Oh, you don't think the Sheik's making himself an A-bomb, do you? No, but we do know that six months ago, we concluded an agreement permitting representatives of several countries to explore and develop the area. That agreement expires next Wednesday, and the sheik has suddenly refused to renew it, or even see our representatives. Yeah, sound like someone up the ante, huh? Yes. Apparently, these other interests have the inside track with them right now. We want you to change all that. Oh, great. Sounds like a cinch. Where is the sheik now, in his walled city? No. According to our information, he's staying on his houseboat in the Nile at Cairo right now. Steve, get to the sheik. What you say to him is up to you, but it's vital that our agreement with him be renewed. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment, Steve? Yeah, yeah, I know. Good luck. National Broadcasting Company is proud to present Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. (laughs) 
This assignment's really a cinch. All I have to do is stick my nose into a hornet's nest of more power politics and change the whole course of events just by reminding the leader of 30,000 fanatical tribesmen that he and I used to be pals. So I slip a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People into my suitcase and head for Cairo. It's Friday when I get there. I check in at the Delta Hotel, and then I head for the Sheik's houseboat on the Nile. Stop where you are, Effendi. Huh? You cannot come aboard this boat. Who are you? One of the Sheik's guards. Look, tell the Sheik that Steve Mitchell is here. The Sheik will see no one. Who's that guy up on the deck? That is Ahmed, the Sheik's confidential secretary. Look, Ahmed... I warn you, do not set foot on this boat, or it will be the guard's unpleasant duty to shoot you. Guard! Guard! Oh, good afternoon, Mikan. Has the sheik changed his mind about seeing me? No, I'm afraid not, Mikan. But truly, he will see me. I am sorry, but I have my orders. The sheik will see no one. Now, please leave, both of you, at once. Very well. Okay, but I'll be back. I would not advise it, Effendi. Well... Looks like you didn't have any better luck than I did. Uh, say, your face seems familiar. I am Mikan. I was once the chief's trusted lieutenant. I thought I recognized you. I'm Steve Mitchell. Steve Mitchell, of course. It has been a long time. Yeah. Hey, uh, what's going on, anyway? I wish I knew Mitchell. Up until last week, I enjoyed the sheik's complete confidence. But suddenly, everything has changed. Shake up in the tribe, huh? Now he will not even see me. Something must have turned him against me. Something or someone. I must have turned him against just about everybody. How about that secretary, Ahmed? I have been wondering about him. He's been acting strangely the last few days. I've asked him several times to get me an audience with the sheik, but he seems very evasive. I wonder if somebody's paying him to be evasive. I do not know. Look, you know the lay of the land around here a lot better than I do. Maybe you can help me. I would be glad to if I thought I could, but it is very discouraging. Yeah, but somehow I've got to see the sheik. Very well, Mitchell. I will try to help you. Meet me at the Sphinx Club at eight tonight. Perhaps I will have thought of a plan by then. <laughs> I get back to my hotel just in time to see a figure that looks like Ahmed scooting through the lobby. In my room, there's a bowl of fruit on the table with a note, compliments of the management. I pick out an apple and start for the window, thinking about the whole deal. Then, suddenly, I quit thinking and start listening. The sound is pecking away at my ears. A faint sound, but it keeps up. Then it registers. I whirl around. It's coming from across the room, the table, the bowl of fruit. I grab the bowl, run to the window, open it, and then I heave it out in the garden below. Concussion knocks me back. I can hear a couple of windows breaking. I run downstairs to the lobby. The clerk is waving his hands in the air. What happened? That explosion. That explosion was meant for me. A little thin-faced man scooted out of here a minute ago. Yes, he took a taxi. Oh. Is this hotel the driver's regular stand? Why, yes, it is. Look, I've got to meet a guy at the Sphinx Club in a few minutes. When that cab driver returns, send him over there. <laughs> My humble Sphinx Club, sir. You are just in time for the entertainment. I am looking for a guy named Mikan. Ladies and gentlemen, Mitchell, special over here. Ah, hello, Mikan. Please sit down. Thanks. I almost didn't make it tonight. Looks like Ahmed planted a bomb in my room. What? 
what Mitchell did. Look, you found out anything yet? Only that the sheik is no longer on his houseboat. That doesn't do us much good. Hey, uh, who's that guy out there talking about Hollywood? His name is Eddie Martell, a very clever entertainer. Listen to him, I think you will find him amusing. I'd like to give you my humble impression of a few American movie stars, so let's see if you can recognize him. Now, uh, can I have your attention, please? All of you at the back of the room there? All right. Now, how about this impression? Now, listen, baby. I don't want to have any trouble with you. We do it my way or we don't do it at all. Hey, he's not bad. He seems to be very popular here. Let's try this one now. No, see here. You can't talk like that to a man of the old side, you know. I won't stand for it. You hear? I won't stand for it. Body Morrison's Jenna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're really boxy's tonight. All right, here's here's one more. Try to catch this one up. If I were king, Olive, if I were king, what treasures I would bring? Van Johnson! Van Johnson? Oh, who, who, who was it? Who was it said Van Johnson? All right, waiter, t- t- take that man on his table and put him on the Nile, will you? <laughs> well, well I, I think that's about all for now. Thank you, thank you very much. I'll be back for the midnight show with more of them, and I'll see you later, huh? Well... Looks like he's heading for our table. Hi, chum. You know, I can spot an American a mile away, and I always have to stop and say, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> have a seat. Thanks. Eddie Martell's the name. Steve Mitchell. This is Mikan. Hi. Allow me to compliment you on your act, Mr. Martell. Yeah, it's pretty good. Ah, it's just an act. If you got it, you can impersonate almost anybody. Now, uh, take you, for instance, Mr. Mitchell. I haven't heard much of your voice, but... Uh... I think this might sound something like it, huh? Is that close? <laughs> Not bad. Mitchell Effendi. Steve Mitchell. Over here. There is a telephone call for you. For me? Are you sure? Yes, sir. If you will come with me. Okay. Excuse me, I'll be back in a minute. Yeah, sure. Of course. Where is the phone? In the back room. Mitchell Effendi, a cab driver came in here a minute ago. He said you wanted to see him. Oh, yeah, I do. Ah, here we are. There is the phone over on the table. I will send the cab driver back when you are through with your call. Okay, thanks. Hello. Good evening, Steve Mitchell. Sheikh Haroon. Hey, where are you? Here in Cairo. Look, I've been trying to see you. I know. I have been kept informed as to your movements. That mining agreement expired. I am well aware of that, but I have no intention of renewing it. I intend to make other arrangements. Look, won't you at least let me talk to you about it? It will do no good, Mitchell. And let me advise you for the last time to let the matter drop. If you do not, if you persist in interfering, then I cannot be responsible for the consequences. Look, forget that I once saved your life. Just remember, I taught you to play poker. Now at least you owe me a chance to talk. Goodbye, Mitchell. Later tonight, I'm returning to my walled city. Wait a minute. Oh, great. Mr. Mitchell, sir? Huh? Oh, uh, are you the cab driver? Yes, sir. The hotel clerk said you wished to see me. Yeah. You picked up a little thin-faced guy named Ahmed in front of the hotel about an hour ago. Where'd you take him? I have written the address on this piece of paper, sir. Oh, thanks. Here, uh, this is for your trouble. Thank you, yeah, sir. After I Thank close you. here, I'll be heading for the States again, I guess. I imagine it will seem good to get back home. Oh, Mitchell. Hey, uh, Martel. Huh? How'd you like to make a few extra bucks? 
You kidding? <laughs> Is it honest? And who cares? I think I might have a little job for you in a few minutes. Yeah, okay. See you in my dressing room, okay? That's a deal. What is this all about, Mitchell? Look, Mikan, that phone call just now was from the Sheik. What? Where is he? Somewhere in Cairo, but he's leaving for his walled city. That means we've got to act tonight. But I still do not understand what you wish with this Eddie Martel. Look, he's an impersonator. He could imitate my voice on the phone. Imitate your voice? That's right. I want Martel to call Ahmed, make believe he's me, and tell Ahmed I know he planted that bomb and I'm on my way over to settle things with him. But what will that accomplish? Well, I'm going to be right across the street from Ahmed's place when he gets that call. If he's working under the Sheik's orders, he'll probably get panicky and run to the Sheik. I'll follow him. If he's working for somebody else, he'll probably run there. I'll still follow him. I see. Well, I hope it works. In the meantime, Mitchell, I will continue my efforts to see the Sheik. Okay. If you do locate him, tell him I know I'm trying to fill an inside straight, but I think he owes me at least a chance to draw to it. I do not think I understand your message, Mitchell. Maybe not, but I think the Sheik will. Well, I'll see you later, Mekon. So I make the deal with Eddie Martell to call Ahmed at nine. I pay the guy across the street five bucks to let me roost on his roof. It's a good spot. I can look right into Ahmed's room. At five to nine, a girl comes in. She's wearing a red dancing skirt. She and Ahmed seem to be talking about something pretty important. Nine o'clock comes. Nine fifteen. Still no phone call. I wait until nine thirty. By then, I'm sure something has gone wrong with my plan. I go back to the Sphinx Club and head for Eddie Martell's dressing room. There's a man standing in front of the door. What do you want? I want to see Eddie Martell. Why? Who are you? Steve Mitchell. Now, look, if it's okay with you, I want to see Eddie Martell. Is he in the dressing room? Yes. And it is quite all right with me if you wish to see him, Mr. Mitchell. There he is. Oh, brother. Not a very pretty sight, is it? Well, I guess he won't be impersonating anybody from now on. Now, please tell me why you wish to see Eddie Martell. What is it to you? Oh, allow me. I am Lieutenant Abura of the Cairo Police. Well, Lieutenant, as long as we're laying credentials on the table, here are mine. I see. Why are you in Cairo, Mr. Mitchell? I've been trying to see Sheik Haroun. You think the Sheik is involved in this killing? It looks like it. His boy Ahmed planted a bomb in my room. I see. Uh, Mitchell, you are aware of Sheik Haroun's power. Are you prepared to confront him with an accusation? No. I'm just trying to confront him, period. Without more evidence, I, I cannot help you. All right. I think I know where I can get the evidence. The hard way. The Sheik's secretary, Ahmed. <sighs> Come, then. Let us pay him a visit. Really hot tonight, Lieutenant. Yes, and the air is quite still. These weather conditions usually signify the start of the come scene. Come scene? What's that? A blinding sandstorm from the Sahara. Oh, 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 fine. That's about all I need right now, a nice sandstorm. Well, here we are. This is Ahmed's rooming house. His room is right here in front. Uh, Mitchell, yeah? we will enter without knocking. I suggest you be prepared for anything. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Look, there on the floor. Yes. This is Ahmed. 
It was Ahmed before he collected that slug. Well, Lieutenant, now do we see the sheik? Yes. Where is he? Somewhere in Cairo. Mikan may be able to help us. Mikan? Yeah, he was the sheik's second in command. He's checking some places the sheik might be here in town. Hey, wait a minute. There's one other. Who is that? The dancing girl in the red skirt who came to see Ahmed while I was watching his room. I've got to find her. Uh, Mitchell, uh, do you realize how many dancing girls there are in Cairo? Uh, sure. Be like trying to find one tree in a forest, I suppose. But it's all I've got to go on right now. Oh, I'll check with you later, Lieutenant. For the next three hours, I cover every cafe, bar, and dive I can find. I see a lot of dancing girls, all shapes and sizes. Quite a few are wearing red skirts, but none of them's the one I'm looking for. The sandstorm has started by now, and it's really a beaut. Ah, finally I give up and head back to my hotel room. I open the door, and there is the person I'd just been turning Cairo upside down to find, the girl in the red dancing skirt. The gun looked very businesslike, but she was trembling. Close the door, Mitchell. Okay. So, I'm next. First Ahmed, now me. I was Ahmed's sweetheart. You took a pretty funny way of showing it. I did not kill Ahmed. You did. I'd... Hey, look. This is a neat cover-up, if it works. I saw you go to his room a little earlier this evening. He was alive when I left. What makes you think I killed him? I knew he was trying to see you. I thought he was trying... They did not put any bomb in your room. He wanted to tell you that the sheik was gone. The sheik is gone? But what did he... Hold it. What? The picture on the wall behind you is moving. Hey, a gun barrel, get down! The slugs tear into the rug beside us. I dive out into the hall and head for the next room. The door's locked. By the time I batter it down, the room's empty. I hear someone pounding down the fire escape. I stick my head out the window and the wind promptly blows a cupful of sand into each eye. Can't even open them for a minute, let alone see who the sniper is. I go back to my own room. The girl is gone. Oh, now I'm right back where I started from with a handful of nothing. I call Lieutenant Abura. He and his boys give the room next door a thorough going over. I'm waiting for him in his office when he finishes. Mitchell, I thought you said the sheik was a friend of yours. I did. Why? We went over the hotel room next to yours very thoroughly, the one from which you were shot at. Mm -hmm. There were several cigarette butts and a half-empty glass of water. So the sniper had been waiting there for me. Well, what's that got to do with the sheik? The fingerprints on that glass were his. What? Are you sure? Of course I am sure. Several years ago, during a political uprising, the sheik was a guest of ours, uh, temporarily. We got his fingerprints then. They matched the ones on the glass. Mm. Well, after this, I'll pick my friends more carefully. Uh, Mitchell, I will tell you frankly, I, I do not know quite what to do about this. Even though the sheik's fingerprints are on that glass, it would be a very delicate and dangerous thing to go out to his walled city and uh, formally accuse him of an attempt on your life. His tribesmen are fanatically loyal to him. Uh, excuse uh, me. Sure. Uh, Lieutenant Abura speaking. Hmm? What? Oh, j just a minute. It is for you, Mitchell. Oh. Hello. This is Mikan, Mitchell. I've been trying to get in touch with you. Yeah? They told me at your hotel that you were at police headquarters. Anything new? I covered all the places I thought the sheik might be. About two hours ago, I saw him come out of one of them. Did you get a chance to talk to him? Only as he was getting in his car to return to his city. He would not listen to me. He said your mission was hopeless. Hmm. What did he say when you gave him my message about drawing to an inside straight? Nothing. I'm afraid 
He did not understand it. I see. Well, thanks for the try, Mikan. Lieutenant, I just had a thought. Hmm? I know it's a tough proposition to get into that walled city if you're not welcome, but what happens in a sandstorm like this? Why, during the come scene, everyone remains indoors under cover. Only a fool would venture out into it. That's what I mean. Let you and me be a couple of fools. Oh, but Mitchell... How could we get there? Uh, what, a jeep, I, I suppose. Could you dig up some goggles? Uh, yes, I suppose, but look... Look, you know, I think I understand now what Ahmed was talking about. It seems like a wild guess, but it's the only answer that makes sense. But to make sure, we're going to have to pay a visit to the sheik in his walled city. I hate to think of what this sand would be doing to our eyes if we didn't have these goggles. So do I. Uh, well, the gate is closed. There's no sentry on duty. Feels you are right about the sandstorm, Mitchell. City may be unguarded. Yeah, come on. Let's find a place to climb this wall. It's too high to jump, about 12 feet. Mitchell, there are many things about this that I do not understand. Me too. But I think it's beginning to fall into place. Hey, wait. There are a few missing rocks in the wall here. Maybe I can get enough for a handhold. I'll give it a try. Mitchell, be careful. If a guard sees you on the wall, he will shoot instantly. Yeah, I know. Here's another hole. Can you reach the pot with your hand? Yeah. I got a hold of it now. As soon as I pull myself up, I'll give you a hand. Hey, I got a hold. Yes? Can you reach my hand? Yes. Here you go. Oh, thank you. Okay. We'll drop down just inside the wall here. I'll go first. Come ahead. Very well. Uh, uh, this wall shelters us from the wind a little. Yeah. Now, look. There's a secret entrance to the sheik's chambers. He showed it to me when I was here five years ago. Uh, where is it? Right around the corner of that building over there, I think. Now, we'll be crossing about 20 feet of open space, but we've got to take a chance. You ready? Yes. Let's go. We have been seen. Yeah. Get behind the corner of the building here. Come on. Here we are. Now you press one of these rocks and it's supposed to open the door. Hurry, Mitchell. Hurry. I've got it. Quick. Get inside. Okay, pull the door shut behind you. I, I cannot see a thing. Turn on your flashlight. Good. Now, up this flight of stairs... Yeah, this leads to the sheik's chambers? Yeah. That guard who saw us, he will... We're taking a chance that he doesn't know about that secret entrance. Okay. This door takes us right into the sheik's room. Now, get ready for anything, Lieutenant. Mitchell, the room is empty. No, I don't think it is. Mikan should be here. You are very clever, Mitchell. Stand quite still, both of you. Hello, Mikan. You're a very persistent man, Mitchell. Not quite as persistent as you are, I guess. How did you know? If you'd known anything about poker, I might never have caught on. But when you told me the sheik didn't understand my message about drawing to an inside straight... That does not matter now, Mitchell. It all fell into place after that. But, Mitchell, where is the sheik? 
I think I know that, too. But he talked to you at the Sphinx Club. No, that was the impersonator, Eddie Martell. <laughs> I thought I was going to use him, but Mikan beat me to it. But the sheik's fingerprints in the hotel room. I guess it wasn't too hard to place a glass with those fingerprints there. Huh, Mikan? We're wasting time. The point is, both of you know too much to live. I... Laporta, keep your hands in sight. Watch out, Lieutenant. I warned you! <laughs> Abora crashes into the table and knocks the lamp to the floor. The room is in darkness now. And now, Mitchell, I have a different fate in store for you. I jumped just in time. I knew about the trap door and the pit full of lime. The sheik had shown them to me once. So, you escaped the pit, but you cannot get out of this room. Why don't you call for help, Mekon? Or maybe you don't want any of the tribe to know what's in that pit. You are quite right, Mitchell. This is a matter to be settled between the two of us. I start circling in the dark. I know Mikan's across the pit, but he doesn't know which side I'm on. Then a finger of light stabs at him from the floor. Abura was still alive, and it turned on his flashlight. Mikan shoots out the light, but in the second it is on, I'd located him. He is standing on the other side of the pit with his back to it. That's the one direction he isn't expecting me to come from. The pit's about ten feet across, but I know it's my only chance. I get a running start and dive across the pit at Mikan. Ah, lost your gun, huh? I do not need it. There's enough strength in my arm. What are you doing? Just a hammerlock, buddy. Now we'll see how you like the pit. No, Mitchell, the pit. No, no. Please, Mitchell, do not drop me. Don't worry, Mikan. I've got to hold you by one hand. I want to keep you nice and alive. Do, do, do not let go of me. Do, do not let go. Mitchell. Yeah, Lieutenant. Breaking down the door. Good. Bring in the light, quickly. It is a guard. Keep him covered for a minute, Lieutenant. Stand back, both of you. What is the matter? Guard, guard, get me out of here. If he takes one step towards me, I'll drop you, Mikan. No, 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 guard, stay where you are. Mitchell, I'm slipping. You'll slip more than that if I let go of your arm. (laughs) Hang on to me. Sure, sure, just tell these guards what you did with the sheik. No, no, guards, do not listen to him. Pull me out. Okay, Mikan, I'll just let go of you and then... No, 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 no. Go on, open up, spill it. What is this about the sheik? You told us he was ill, Mikan. Start talking or you'll be right down there with him. I, I, the, the sheik, he's dead. Dead? Keep talking. I, I, I killed him. What? Okay, guard, help me pull him out. You got to hold him? Yes. Here we go. <laughs> God, God, listen to me. It was not the truth. What I just said, I, I did He's not... He's all yours, guard. And if you'll check the bottom of that pit, I think you'll find what's left of the sheik. No, no. Come, Mika, let me go. You shall help me with him. I tell you, it is not true. I only said that. How are you doing, Lieutenant? Oh, I will be all right. It is a shoulder wound. Good. And you? Oh, I'm okay, except my right arm feels about three inches longer than my left. <laughs> uh, Mitchell... Why did Mikan kill the sheik? He knew the sheik was going to renew our mining agreement. But Mikan had sold out to the other interests, so he Ah. killed the sheik. But this business of making it look like the sheik was still alive. Sure, until after the mining agreement had been signed with the boys who were paying Mikan off. And he could announce that the sheik had met with an accident, and as second in command, Mikan would take over the tribe. What will happen now? Well, when the sheik's boys find out that Mikan killed their leader. In order to change that agreement, I think they could be talked into preserving the status quo. You know, that's funny. What is? Well, you've heard the old saying, 
A little knowledge is a dangerous thing? Now, how do you mean? Well, Mikan knew more about poker than he realized. He knew how to bluff, and that's a large part of the game. But if you're going to play a game, you better know all about it. Mikan should have known what an inside straight was. I see. Uh, just what is an inside straight? Huh? You mean you don't know anything about poker either? No, not a thing. Ah, that's very interesting. Come on. You start the school as soon as we get back to Cairo. It may be that I've found me a pigeon. Pigeon? Uh, that's an American term meaning... Well, I think I'll let you find out what it means soon enough. Come on. Very well. Uh, we will play your game, but just one favor. Sure, anything. Dealer's choice deuces wild my deck and no limit. Oh, great. My pigeon has turned into a buzzard. have just heard another episode in the exciting new adventure series, Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Dangerous Assignment is written by Bob Reif, with music by Bruce Ashley, and is directed by Bill Karn. Be with us again next week at this time, when Brian Donlevy, starring as Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. Throughout the week, NBC brings you unparalleled drama in action-packed mystery adventure programs. Tomorrow, hear Big Town with crusading editor Steve Wilson fighting crime and viciousness. On Wednesday, listen to the champion of the people, Mr. District Attorney, in a fast-moving 30 minutes of action drama and big story with a true tale from the front pages of America's newspapers. Richard Widmark is a merchant seaman on Cavalcade. Tomorrow on NBC. Welcome back. A fun episode. I guess we should take his uh, packing a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People as figurative. Because it'd be weird if he could grab the book and not his shirt. Though, I don't know. Maybe the commissioner's just like a Dale Carnegie fanatic and... <laughs> He's got like a whole uh, box of how to win friends and influence people. Like some people in uh, corporate jobs do with who moved my cheese. Though it's interesting that this episode uh, confirms that it's set directly after the previous adventure and Steve getting back from Switzerland. I also love the big over-the-top spy action. This was 1950, and there had been no James Bond films, and I've listened to other sort of espionage-based stories, like uh, Secret Agent K-7 Returns, and this is different in just having amazing, over-the-top things happen in this sort of adult uh mystery espionage adventure. And so we get, you know, a big pit, and we also get uh, that most likely of criminal devices, 
the Fruit Bowl Bomb. It's a special class of villain that puts that much care into their work. Decorative, delicious, and deadly. That right there is a powerful combination. We once again heard a story where Steve used a uh, verbal clue, or set a trap with a verbal clue. And it's a pretty decent one. I think it was telegraphed a bit in uh, Brian Donlevy's delivery. We did hear these sort of things on The Man Called X, but uh, Herbert Marshall was a little less obvious about it. And half the time, I missed the cue. I, I don't think that's ever a thing with uh, Don Levy. I will say that I really laughed at the uh, end when it became clear that the police guy knew more about poker than he initially said. Though, then again, since he lost his shirt to the Sheik when he taught the Sheik poker, maybe he's better playing against an experienced player. Well, we turn now to listener comments and feedback. Laura, who increased her support to the uh, uh, Shamus level, writes, uh, Thanks for the fantastic work you do. Uh, love the Great Detective podcast, and it's rare that there's a show I don't listen to. Let George Do It was the only one I can recall, but I probably should have given it more of a chance than episode one. Well, thanks so much. Uh, appreciate your support, Laura. And I will say Let George Do It can be a challenging show to get uh, into. If you start in the typical way that we play it on the podcast from start to finish, because it starts out as a sitcom that you could either describe as so-so or even bad, and then becomes a really fine detective program. Some great cases, uh, really solid writing, but there are those first few episodes that can be a bit of a challenge uh, to get through. But Let George Do It really does have a special place in my heart. I uh, was recording the commentary for Season 1 for our Volume 1 podcast, and I reflected on how Let George Do It really was the first non-Dragnet detective series that I listened to. Uh, Bob Bailey does great in it. Uh, the mysteries are great. And I love it. it. There was a reason why I chose it as one of the first five series that we did on Great Detectives back in 2009. And I really love when I see, you know, people downloading our old Let George Do It episodes. You know, we, we have different feeds for every program we've done, you know, except, you know, there are some group feeds, particularly for uh, shorter series. But, uh, you know, when I see, oh, we've got 75,000 plus downloads of uh, Let George Do It, it really... Uh, makes me happy. Recommendations, if you cannot get into the first episode, try listening to the last episode we added back in 2019. It's, you know, certainly not a perfect episode, but it's closer to um, the median than the first episode. You can also... Uh, if you're going through it in chronological order, just skip to the episode 42 on a rope, which is when the series ceases to be uh, a sitcom at all. But uh, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate the support, Laura. 
Also had some uh, nice comments regarding our wire recording conversation. Over on Instagram, uh, DragonGirl85 writes, I really enjoyed hearing about how the wire recording worked. Thanks, Adam. And Preston says, I have to admit that I didn't understand what the wire was exactly until Adam explained it after the show. I knew about the recording medium, but I didn't make the connection right away. Well, thanks so much. Uh, it was fun to research. And it's one of those things, I don't check into everything, but sometimes things, you know, really grab my attention. And I just kind of found myself wondering, okay, how much information could be captured? What was the wire recording spool like? And that sent me out to doing the uh, research. This podcast definitely gives me some opportunities to go down some fun miscellaneous rabbit holes. Mark, uh, sends an email, I'm listening to the talk about wire recorders versus tape recorders. I believe wire recorders simply came first and tape recorders were an improvement, uh, an upgrade. It's a somewhat complex history. Both wire recorders and tape recorders had many uh, predecessors going back into the early 20th century, and in some cases into the late 19th century. Both had hopes of being sold to consumers after the Second World War. What happened could probably best be described as a format war. And I've seen several of these in my times, and certainly many of you out there have seen many more. Essentially, there is a consumer need, and different companies uh, arrive at different ways of meeting that need. There was uh, Betamax versus VHS for uh, VCR tapes. Or, uh, in my uh, memory, you had zip drives versus CDRWs. Yeah, back in the 90s, you know, as people were starting to use computers, you had this product called Zip Drive, which was a separate uh, computer drive you would put in in replacement of a floppy drive. And I know that um, folks under 30 have no idea what I'm talking about. But that was a thing. But ended up, you know, when they brought in rewritable CDs the zip drive ended up going away. So I think it was a case that uh, tape recording and wire recording were kind of more parallel development. But thanks so much for the comment, Mark. Now it's time to uh, thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Kelly, Patreon supporter since July of 2017, currently supporting us at the a shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Kelly. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. And remember, you can subscribe to this as a podcast using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Amazon Music at amazon.com slash otrdetectives. Next Wednesday, we'll have another episode of Dangerous Assignment. But join us back here tomorrow for Philo Vance, where... I beg your, your pardon. Huh? <laughs> you can't want to see me. Where's your fish? <laughs> Everybody what talks to me has a fish they want me to take a picture of. <laughs> Most times, the fish are prettier than the people. <laughs>
Where's your fish? Well, I don't have one at the moment. Apparently, you're connected with the fishing dock in a camera capacity. But maybe you can give me some information. Pal, I'm so unused to talking to anybody without a fish in their mitt, I'm practically tongue-tied. You sure you ain't got a fish? I'm positive. My name is Vance, Philo Vance. I'm a private investigator. You sure are. I heard about you, Vance. What's up? If a man came down here at 10 o'clock this morning and wanted to go fishing, what boats would be available? What boats? Yes. No boats. All of them are out by then. They're out and I'm sleeping. Time to get back. I'm here with my camera ready to shoot pictures of anybody who catches anything over two pounds. I bet I made a thousand pictures this year already. People are vain about their catches, I know. Vain? They're out of their heads. Catch a fish, take a picture, catch a fish, take a picture. I bet we got 10,000 pictures of guys and fish they caught and where they caught them, how they caught them, what boat they were on, how much the fish weighed, how much they weighed. Honest, Vance, you never saw so many guys fish foolish. Well, fishing's a great sport and a lot of people enjoy it, my friend. Tell me this. Yeah? If one boat did happen to be around at 10 o'clock this morning, who would know what boat that was? See that shack across the street? Yes. Belongs to Captain Smith. His boat's called the Daisy. He goes out a little late some days. Ask him. Maybe he can help him. Thank you. I will. Anytime you grab a fish, Vance, and you want a picture taken, don't forget me. You get him on the line, I get him on fish. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.